0: Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, our our message this morning is on hope. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. Hopefully, you've been living in it. We want to be people of of hope because we have a reason to hope. We, we don't need to run around uh, dreary and uh, sad all the time as Christians. There are times to be sad, but um, deep in our heart, there's rejoicing. Paul Paul talks about that contradiction, by the way, or that paradox. I should say it's not a contradiction that we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And that uh, interesting thing that that Christ can do if we have. Uh, our souls anchored in hope and so first peter chapter 3 i want to talk about how hope has a message hope has a message and as we, we think about that i want to define hope because sometimes we confuse that in our culture and we use the words in such a way that sometimes it muddies meaning and uh, when we talk about hope we we often mean i wish or i i want this to happen and when we're talking about that kind of hope, that's, that's far different from Christian hope. Christian hope is confidence in a person and confidence in a promise that causes us to live a certain way. It, it helps us uh, to be buoyant in the middle of really difficult times. And so Christian hope is not that. It's not uh, wishful thinking. It's much more than that. And I think we all know what it is to have some kind of hope like this, even if it's on a small scale. If you're if you were ever a little boy... And it's April or May, and you know that you've got those last parts of school, and then summer's coming. Anybody know what that's like? Or you're working, and you know there's a great vacation that's coming up, but you've got to put in the time, and, and that work seems a little extra hard, and maybe there's some things that are coming down upon you, and you're just saying to yourself over and over again, if I can just make it through today, and you're watching the clock, and it's Friday, and it's 4.45, And you're thinking, I can deal with anything for 15 more minutes because I know we're going to Hawaii and there's no snow, huh? No, we're not. It's hypothetical. Sorry about that. I got Janie's hopes up. Did you see what happened there? (laughs) Well, we, we live with a kind of hope because we know that after all that this life is over, Uh, All that happens in this life that there is a good day that's ahead of us and it's been promised and demonstrated in jesus Jesus is the first fruits. He's the prototype of what we're going to be like in the resurrection That's not in terms of our standing, but in terms of resurrected body What we see in him is what we will have and scripture says that we don't know what we shall be But we know that we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is you, you see that? There's hope in that. And so it's hope beyond the troubles of this life. And think about the alternative that is so sad. So some people live a hell in this life only to experience a worse hell later on. And we might go through difficulty. <laughs> we, we sang, I, I couldn't believe it, but we sang, I think, Hell in High Water today. Did anybody sing that or see that on the slide? Is that what we sang? Okay. we Through, that's right. That's I didn't expect to see that in one of our worship songs, but it's true, isn't it, that we go through things like that in this life, but there's something to hope in that can um, help us to be buoyant beyond that. And so the passage that we're looking at today, it shows us that if we have hope, that it changes everything. And the advice that Peter is going to give here to these first Christians who are the first ones who heard this word? You know, in in one way, when we look at scripture, we're reading something that God said to somebody else first. Are, are you with me that it's not it's not only to us? Somebody else heard this first. They were direct recipients of this letter, and and as Peter's writing, he's going to borrow from the book of Isaiah where Isaiah was saying the same thing to the people of Judah first. This is something that comes around the time of what Joe is talking about in our call to worship, and so what's true for. The people of Judah back then in terms of hope and what's true in terms of the first early Christians is also true for us that we need to live out these principles of hope. And so this passage shows us these are principles for living with hope when not everybody agrees with you. Uh, Aren't you glad that we can have hope in the midst of that? There's so many opinions out there. Uh, Everybody's got a YouTube channel and they want to tell you what's true and what's right in life right? And uh, there's lots of voices that are saying a lot of things. There's a lot of uh, resistance against the gospel. A lot of people would love to shut down the gospel. There's a lot of people who don't understand the gospel. But even in a world like that, and, and people who make Christians lives, they actively make life harder for Christians. Can we have hope in a world like that? I mean, you probably would agree with me that in terms of worldwide Christianity, American Christians have it pretty easy. Would you agree with that? If, if not, uh, I would encourage us, let's expand our understanding of what's going on in the world because there's a lot of people that are paying dearly to follow Jesus. And uh, I don't have all of those stories, but I've heard some of those stories, and uh, there's some heroic things that come out of that because people have clung to hope. And so this passage will show us something. It shows us that it not only matters that we do something, but how we do it. Okay? I like to call this ad- adverb Christianity because adverbs modify verbs. It tells us how something happens, right? The boy ran. The boy skippingly ran. Now that tells us a little bit about how something took place. And this explains for us how some things take place. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start at verse 8. He's coming into this uh, final section. And I think Peter is uh, plagued with the same kind of thing I am. I always end in the middle, You know, like a promise, finally, and then there's a lot more. Okay, so here's what Peter says. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must... Turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Then in verse 13, this is our main text here. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ is Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, uh, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so hope has a message and that message is spoken. And so let me set up a little bit of the background for this because I think it helps us to understand Uh, A little bit about what's taking place here is Peter is writing to some areas uh, like Bithynia or around the province of Asia. You'd be amazed at uh, what we would call present-day Turkey. You'd be amazed how much of the New Testament was written to a region originally that's in the country of Turkey. So Peter's writing to these Christians who are facing difficulty and we don't, we don't necessarily understand all that they went through because for us it's comparatively easy. In their day, everything was revolved around local deities or the pantheon of gods that they believed in. And so uh, civic events were not secular and neutral. They were infused with idolatry. And so if you're going to be a Christian, one thing that's going to happen is that you're not going to participate in things that they participate in. Like... One of the things that they would have done is the restaurants of the ancient world were usually temples where food had been sacrificed to idols and they had food left over. And so if you wanted to go to the restaurant, you went to the temple. Well, Christians can't do that in good conscience. And so people are going to start to notice. Your neighbors are going to start to notice. I noticed that you weren't at the parade the other day. Why weren't you there? I noticed that we haven't seen you at the restaurant lately. Why haven't you been there? I noticed that you haven't been patronizing my booth that sells little trinket idols. Why haven't you been there? And so these questions would begin to come up that would cause Christians to have to respond. And many times there was persecution that surrounded that. Because you're different, because you're doing something different, you're not following along with the same customs we are, you face some kind of difficulty and, and uh, the culture just didn't understand. And so as a Christian, you would stand out. And people would begin to ask you, what is it that you're living for? If it's not for this, then what is it? And then it was up to the Christian to have to respond. Well, with all of those threats, one of the things that can happen is that a person can become paranoid and feel that the whole world is against them. And so I'd like you to notice this first principle here is that in our hearts, we need to reverence God. In our hearts, we need to fear, reverence God. We need to honor God in our hearts. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But... One of the things that can happen is that we can become paranoid and feel that the whole world is against us. We have to be careful in our mindset that we not uh, assume that everything and everyone is against us. I talked to a lady one time in our fellowship hall. She doesn't come here anymore, and I won't tell you her name. But she said to me, Pastor, all of Anchorage is against me. And I thought that was really impressive that she would know over 300,000 people. And none of them would like her. Everybody's against me. I knew what she meant. She has this feeling that I'm a, a martyr or a victim in all of life. And I think as Christians, we have to be careful of that. We don't get a victim mentality like everybody is against. Yes, there is a wave of persecution that comes. Yes, there is a world philosophy that stands against us. The book of Revelation calls this Babylon the Great. It stands against the people of God. That, that's true. But we're not victims in this. If we're people of hope, the Bible will not allow us. Christ will not allow us. The New Testament writers will not allow us to be victims. Are you with me? We're overcomers. How can you be a victim when you have heaven as your reward? So one of the things that could come is Peter's encouraging these Christians, look, it's hard. You may have to suffer. That's true. He's saying to them, but... Be careful that you don't fear them. Notice what it says in these these verses here, verse um, 14. But even if he says, do the right thing, but even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. In your heart, revere Christ as Lord. So uh, here's where I want to go with this. This first thing is that the heart is the source and that we need to understand that it's in the heart that we can allow fear to creep in, or it's in the heart that we can give our reverence to God. Uh, uh, the heart is the source of the Christian life, isn't it? I mean, it comes from God, but God changes our heart, and then the, from the heart, the outworking of things begin to happen, right? Isn't that the Jesus teaching? That out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, out of the, the heart comes envies and murders and lust and, and those things, and then it produces actions, but... It's in the heart that these things start. So uh, Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart because from it flow the issues of life. So we have to guard our heart. And I was thinking a little bit about this. Where I grew up, um, I was talking a little bit earlier about how, where you're going to grow up. You oftentimes think that's how everything is. We didn't have good water. Okay, I grew up in Kansas. And uh, in fact, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, We were traveling somewhere, and somebody said, what are those things? They're from Alaska. What are those things that are up there? I said, those are water towers. Never seen a water tower before. I thought that was weird because I thought everybody knew what water towers were. But uh, apparently, when you have mountains, (laughs) you don't need water towers. But when it's flat, like it is in Kansas, you have to pump your water up, and then that weight of that water... Aren't you glad we're in physics this morning, physics class? The weight of that water pushes it down, so you have water pressure in your house. And oftentimes, the water is not very good. And recently, we went somewhere else that uh, we were in Florida recently, and uh, we drank some of the water there, and it tastes like rotten eggs. It wasn't very good. And I realized there's not a lot of places that have good tasting water like we have, flowing from from my, my understanding from Eclutna and it makes its way down through a filtration system into my faucet, and it comes out cold every time. Aren't you thankful for a good source? <laughs> right. uh, I don't know what they were filtering that rotten egg stuff through, but I think sulfur was in the mix somewhere. But some That, that spoils the taste. That spoils the flavor, and, and fear can spoil life for us, can't it? He says, don't fear them. Don't fear them. And this... This uh, is where Isaiah draws, or excuse me, Peter draws from Isaiah chapter 8. And there's some disagreement about what it is exactly uh, Isaiah saying. He says in chapter 8, verse 12, don't call conspiracy uh, what these people call conspiracy. But then he goes on to say, but you're to you're reverence uh, God, reverence the Lord in your heart. Okay. So there's a couple things that, that could be talking about. One is that Isaiah in Isaiah's time, there was a threat that was coming from the north, the Assyrians. And, and there was this attempt on the, the leadership of God's people to align themselves with other powers to be able to defeat that. And so what they were doing was letting fear reign in their heart. And Isaiah is saying, don't, don't get caught up in all that conspiracy stuff. You need to give your attention, your focus, your honor to the Lord. When we say fear the Lord, by the way, we're not talking about living in dread fear of Him. We're talking about taking God seriously, right? So, my dad was kind of a quiet guy, and and I found out later that he was genuinely nice. <laughs> when I was little, I was a little bit scared of him, uh, and then my mom she'd read me a story out of a book every night. and And one uh, day she was doing the dishes or something, and she said, "George, you read him a story." So my dad he didn't read me a story, he set me on his lap and he told me stories about growing up during World War II and blackout curtains and uh, little half lights and things that they had to do to avoid getting bombed uh, in World War II, which never really happened, but uh, the things that he described happened, the bombing never happened, not there. Uh, So he told me those stories and suddenly I saw a whole new dimension, I was probably four years old, I saw a whole new dimension to my dad. And I knew that I needed to take him seriously, but there was a love and a concern that was there. I knew that if somebody broke into our house, my dad, he's going to stand up and he's going to beat him up. He's going to take care of him. So I found an ally where once there was fear. So when, but, but later as I grew up, I realized that there's a certain point at which, like if you talk back, you knew that you could only push things so far, and then dad was going to step in. And so while there was this love, I also had this this fear a little bit that I knew there were limits that I had to take him seriously I had to respect him and so I think I, I see that here is that that uh, Isaiah's telling the people of Judah don't fear those things you need to fear and honor the Lord take God seriously and he can protect you from the other threats okay well that's one way that that could be looked at the other is this is that Isaiah is saying that uh there's going to be judgment that comes. And there were a lot of people that were thinking that Isaiah was trying to interfere with what was going well in Judah, and they were people were not taking him seriously. In fact, they were they were talking bad about Isaiah and shunning Isaiah and his fellow prophets, which would have been Micah, and not taking that message seriously. And he's saying, Look. Regardless of what some of the people are saying, you need to fear the Lord. Don't fear them. Don't fear those who would persecute righteousness. Fear the Lord. Either way you take that, the message is the same. Don't fear the others. Fear the Lord. So Peter is writing here, in our heart we're supposed to reverence the Lord and not those other things. There are some very scary things in this world, but the question that we need to answer is, in the midst of a life of hope, can we trust and believe that God will take care of us? I think we can. And here's, the, here's how far that goes. This is not to say that you'll never have a bad day or go through a bad time. okay. But real hope clings to God through the bad time and realizes he will bring us out the other side. Okay, Think of this. Um, God will always deliver in one of two ways. He'll either deliver us out of a situation or he'll deliver us through the situation, but he always delivers every time. The three Hebrews refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down to your image. And, and God will rescue us from you, but even if you kill us, God will rescue us out of your hand. Do you see that they saw... Every possibility is God's deliverance. Paul says at the end of his life, he says, The Lord stood at my side and he rescued me from the lion's mouth. And he will deliver me from every evil attack and he'll bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul said. And you know, Paul is writing his final letter and it won't be long after that, that he will face the sword of the executioner. And my question to you is, was Paul delivered to a better life? The answer is yes. He was, and so while he, we can trust God, uh, and while we may face difficulty, that's where I wanted to go with that, while we may face difficulty, we can trust the Lord, and He will bring us through to a better life, and so in our heart, the the source of life, we need to reverence the Lord, reverence the Lord, because the alternative to that is to begin to fear every threat that comes, and when we fear something like that, we make it our master, Right? If you've ever experienced some kind of threat, you realize how controlling and domineering that can be to you. But that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live with with God as Lord, with Christ as Lord of our lives. We're supposed to reverence and honor him. We're supposed to have fear for the things of God, for the Lord. And so he says, the Lord Almighty is the one that you're to regard as holy. So notice here, uh, it says that we're to revere Christ as Lord. So in our heart, reverence. The second thing that uh, is this proper response to difficulty, living with hope in a time of difficulty, is that we in speech need to be courteous, in speech courteous. Look at what it says next. This is interesting because Peter's writing to Christians who he's encouraged them to do everything that's right. And he says this one thing at the beginning of verse 14. Uh, even if you should suffer for doing what's right, uh, you're blessed. Don't fear their threat. So he's saying that even if you do what's right, you may have to face some difficulties. But he says, continue to do the right thing. Um, revere Christ. And then he says, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason that you have hope. Okay, so people are going to ask. In Peter's day, they would have noticed you're not... you're not. Um, You're not going to the temple anymore. You're not. uh, You're not visiting the the uh, restaurant. You're not going to the parades. You're not involved in these civic events. You're not offering sacrifices at the shrine to the gods. What's going on with you? Peter says, "What's going on is that we have a new hope. Okay, we have a new hope and." And three out of five times, I think Peter brings up hope five times in this letter. And three out of those five times, they're directly related to the resurrection. He brings it up in the same verse. And the other times, they're indirectly connected to the resurrection. And so every time in Peter, when he says hope, he's referring to something in connection with the resurrection. That changes everything for us. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead changes everything for us changes our outlook on life. It changes what life's about. It changes the direction we live life. We live life now in light of eternity. Like the world that, the the lives that most people live who don't know God make sense. It's this. Get the most out of this life because we don't know what's next. So, you know, cheat, steal, beg, borrow, work like crazy. Make sure you get all of this that you can in this life because this is all that there is. And uh, we realize that there's something different to this world. We're living for a different world. This is not all that there is to life. This is the precursor to what life is about, that the longer portion of life is lived after this life is over. That's hard to wrap our minds around because this is all we know at the moment. We can know it through Scripture. We can know it through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But in experience, we know this life, But there's a life to come that God has given us. And so he's, he tells them, you're going to get asked the question why you have this particular hope. And he tells us what this hope is, is uh, based in Jesus. But he says, always be prepared to give an answer. And, and always be prepared doesn't mean that you... Uh, you're studying every morning in your devotions to find out how you can answer and respond to people. There, there's a place for that. I think we need to be students of God's word and we need to think through things and we need to address those with our, with our kids and, and talk about why it is that we believe. And I think overall, the church needs to do better in regards to that. Like We just think that's the pastor's job to study and, and have a good response. It's not because I'm telling you, in your home, you're going to have kids that are going to be bringing home the questions of the world. And you're going to need to respond to those in a godly way. And so that requires every—you didn't realize when you became a parent, you also needed to become a student. And those two things need to go together. But this is, this is even more than that. Because remember, Jesus said, too, when they do bring you into the, the court and uh, they make you stand up to give a defense, uh, you don't have to worry so much in that moment exactly about what will happen and what you'll say because the Holy Spirit will give you those words. But the question is, how does he do that? And I think the response is, and this has been my experience and the experience of a lot of others, is as you read your Bible and take it in and study, then what happens is in the moment you need those verses, the Holy Spirit brings them to mind. Right? So we're we're students of the Word, generally, and it's not wrong for us to think through the issue so that when the time comes... We can respond intelligently to these things. But in the end, the thing that we need to do is we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Study and reliance on the Holy Spirit are not mutually exclusive. And I'm telling you this because I come from a a background in the churches that we grew up in where we thought, people thought, study, and being used by the Holy Spirit didn't go together. If you prepared, you weren't going to be used by God because you need to just step into the pulpit and open your mouth and the Holy Spirit will fill it. And here's the interesting thing I found out is that a lot of those preachers who believe that said the same thing every time because there wasn't a depth to them. So we need to be students. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that we need to be prepared in the sense of readiness to give an answer when people ask us for the hope. Now, the difference in our culture might be that people might not ask you why you have this hope and you might have to force the issue. In Peter's day, I think it would have been more apparent, like, you're my neighbor. You've been my neighbor for 50 years. Why is it that all of a sudden you're not doing the idolatrous thing anymore? Okay. And that might happen in today's world, too. You might, you know, have gone and partied with people in the past, and now you're serving Christ. And, and Peter says in his second letter, they think it's strange that you don't run with them to the revelry parties anymore. Well, something has changed in us that requires an answer, a response to them. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. The word translated answer here uh, is a legal term for an explanation given by a defendant who's on trial. So, um, you know, we, we often, people who are on trial, they plead the fifth and they let their attorney do the answering for them, but... In many situations throughout history, if you were the defendant, you had your opportunity in court to state your reasons why you believe something. And so this is what was called the the apology or the answer that you would give. You've probably heard of apologetics, and it comes from this word. And did you know that apology hasn't always meant saying you're sorry? Did you know that? In fact... Uh, it used to mean giving a reason, and it changed within the last 200 years. And I I think the reason it changed is because generally languages change, and we get a little bit sloppy with how we use words, and and then they slowly change. Uh, 200 years ago, 1828, Noah Webster wrote his American Dictionary of the English Language, and here's what he says: apology means it means something said or written in defense of what appears to others wrong or unjustifiable but which the apologist he's calling the person giving the defense the apologist deems to be right in other words he's saying that the the apology is somebody telling others who think that he's wrong why he thinks he's right okay that's different than how we use apology right apology now just means i'm sorry i did what was wrong and i need to acknowledge that before you but that use is less than 200 years old that's interesting to me but the more interesting thing here is that that this is what god is calling us to is to respond and tell people who think the christian message is wrong why we think it's right what what it is that causes us to want to follow Christ in this way, what it is that gives us hope when they ask, why is it that you're following Jesus? Why is it that you're living differently? Why is it that your car drives to church on Sunday morning? Why do you give in offerings? Why do you give to missions? Why do you go on mission trips? Why is it that you say no to these kinds of things that the world says is fun uh, but you see as destructive? Okay, Let's just put them all out there. And then we need to give a defense like it do you realize that this kind of life that we're living appears wrong to some people? It does. So when they ask the question why the Bible inspired by the holy spirit says be ready to answer that. You're on you're on the defense here. Not in the sense that we've got to defend God. Some people say, "Well, you don't need to defend God" and so they despise the whole realm of apologetics. We don't have to defend God. But we do need to defend ideas about God. And I think that's appropriate to to defend ideas about God. And so um, when something seems wrong or unjustifiable, we we may need to give an answer. So in this world, as Christians, we are witnesses standing in the the box of defense. And the world sees it as wrong. But uh, we need to respond. And Peter's the one who uses this word, a legal term. A technical term, give a defense for this reason. But then he says something else, because sometimes when we have a corner on truth or we think we have a corner on truth, we feel a, a moral superiority to other people. Okay, I don't know if I can describe this for you, but you'll know it when you see it. When somebody thinks they're right, they take this condescending approach to people who are wrong. Like, how how come you don't know that this is right? Well, some people haven't received the revelation you have, or, or whatever reason, maybe they've rejected it, but the whole point of that is that we need to do it in the right way, this is where the adverb comes in, not just speak, but he tells us uh, the way that we're supposed to speak, look at what it says in verse 15, be ready to give an offense, or give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, okay, good, so give an answer, that's so far so good. And then the way we're to do it is do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously about your good behavior may be ashamed of their um, may be ashamed of their slander. So he's telling us it's not just enough to be right; we need to approach them in a way that shows dignity towards the individual and is also gentle. Okay, do you, you realize that that? Being right is not a license to be mean. It's true. And uh, you'll see sometimes in revivalist movements, I've heard uh, this is true in the Welsh revival, that one of the leaders in particular um, got to a point where he felt he was too holy to be approached by anybody else. Like he can't let anybody else come. He, He went into some kind of reclusiveness feeling that, I'm too holy, really, to deal with common, ordinary people. And uh, I'm right, you're wrong. I can't be touched by your wrongness. Uh, I just want to contrast that with the way Jesus lived. He's the only one that was ever right all the time. Can you imagine the loneliness in that? (laughs) Everybody else is wrong. Come on, you've been there where somebody is saying something that you know is not informed You know what I'm talking about? And you just kind of put up with it and tolerate it and realize there's time that needs to happen for growth to happen in that life. Jesus had to do that with everybody, and he's still doing it with you and me. Right? He's helping us along. Gentleness. Gentleness. He's bringing us along with gentleness. I'm thankful for that. At times, he can speak in a way that gets our attention, but you realize that we serve a gentle Savior. He said, by his own definition... Uh, Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your soul, gentle and humble. And so he knew the right ways to say things to get people's attention. There are times where things are done in love and they look harsh, but they're um, they're really not harsh. Like if you think about some of the approaches surgeons take, That can be very painful in order to get a solution, but there can be a gentleness even in that. So I'm not excluding all things. Jesus said some very uh, stinging statements at times, but that can come justifiably from a gentle person, right? So I I would encourage us in this is that when we, we share what's right and we we talk about what's right and we give our explanation about this is the way and this is the reason that we have hope, that we do it in a gentle and respectful way. Giving dignity to the individual. There's a book uh, that's out, I don't know if I would agree with everything in any book, but this book is pretty good. It's by Greg Kokel, it's called Tactics, and it's about sharing your faith. And One of the things that he does as an apologist is he always gives other people the last word. He said, well, I'll just say what I need to say, and then you, you, you speak last. You say whatever you need to say, and we'll leave it at that. And Man, he is persuasive. Greg Kokel, tactics, if you're interested. Um, I think there's some gentleness and dignity in that, that. We give other people the dignity of having their own mind, because God's done that with us, right? And so do it with gentleness and respect. Proverbs 16.21 says, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. If you if you can speak gently, if you can speak with respect, you'll have a much better hearing. Um, finally, in action, goodness. In action, goodness. If we're going to live with hope, in action, the proper response is always goodness. Sometimes the thing that we're responding to is not good. And that's the very thing Peter is trying to say here is, he starts off in verse 13, or uh, just prior to that, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Sometimes goodness is the preventative measure. If you're uh, if you're a good person, not good in like the sense of the rich young ruler who thinks of himself as good and thinks of Jesus as good and puts it out there. He says, uh, good sir, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? No one's good but God. And the, the the question really is, are you equating me with God? You see? But the thing that we see over and over again in Scripture is that God doesn't see our goodness as good. Okay? So we need to have a goodness that is given to us. And one of the th- fruits of the Spirit or one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. And so the proper response then to badness in our world is not more badness. Have you seen how it escalates? So one person does one thing. I've s- I saw this over and over again when I was a kid. One of th- One of the reasons I don't like practical jokes is because um, they always escalate. Okay, One thing leads to something, and then there's a retaliation that happens, and then it gets bigger than that, and pretty soon you have hurt feelings. And everybody's sense of justice is warped. And so we think that What we're doing to them is equal to what they did to us, but usually it's more. And so it gets bigger and bigger. And so um, we can break that cycle. One way is to do what's good. Goodness might keep you from getting caught up in controversy to begin with. Because Peter says there in verse 13, if you're doing good, who wants to harm you? He's saying that's the normal expectation. Then he says in verse uh, 14... But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. So there he's saying, if you do good, you'll avoid some problems. But you may not avoid all the problems that come with being a Christian because some people don't care how good you are. They don't like what you believe, and they don't like your Savior. And so it's going to make life harder for you. So after having said all that he needs to say in verse 15 about uh, setting apart or revering Christ as Lord, don't fear them, Fear Christ, from that flows the issues of life. If you're, if Christ is your Lord, you're going to do those things that are good because that's the direction he's going to lead you and guide you as, as, as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer uh, to those who ask for the reason, but do this with gentleness and respect. And then verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Uh, for it is better, if God wills, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered in that way. But look at verse 16. Um, It is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You may have to go through a hard time for doing the right thing, but it's better to do it for doing the good thing than for the bad thing coming upon you as a retaliation. And... I think there we need to pause for just a moment and ask the question, is it God's will for us to suffer? Because there's two ways we can take that. One is that we may take that, that God likes to create difficulty in our life and hardship, and he likes to hurt. But that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is that for some purpose that God knows, he allows suffering to come into our lives. It's not that he wants us to suffer, but he may see an effect that will come from it, and it may be an effect of growth in us, and it might be an effect of a witness to others, and it might be that through a difficult situation, somehow he's going to be glorified in a magnificent way, but he sees that. So it's not directly his will that you should suffer, but perhaps that through suffering, something great that he can do is going to happen. Do you see the difference? God is not uh, the kind of, God or person that wants to hurt people for no purpose. Okay, I've heard sometimes people describe spanking as hitting. Uh, we had a baby dedication, so I feel I can go into this area a little bit this morning. Uh, spanking isn't hitting; it's different. The purpose is different, right? Like when you when you spank your child, you have a good purpose in it. Like when I got spanked, my parents weren't just like, "You know what? I need to take out my anger on some kid today." I'm thankful it wasn't that way. Instead, what they were saying was, I don't like this, I don't like to do this, but unless you understand that pain goes with wrongdoing, you're going to be following this cycle your whole life. And so a parent takes some time to discipline a child so that they know pain and disobedience go together because there are worse ways to learn it. Are you with me? Like if we don't discipline our kids, if God doesn't discipline. The world will, and the world has no love for us. And so the loving person who will be there the next day to love and console them, and even right after. I remember one time I don't remember what I did, but my dad sat me in the kitchen and he said, "Luke, I'm going to spank you now." And I can only think about five times he spanked me. My mom, I can't even count. She wore me out, but he said, "He said I'm going to spank you." As Christians, we don't do this. I remember this part: we don't, we don't do this. And uh, he spanked me. It didn't hurt, but it made my heart break, and I cried because my dad was disappointed in me. And uh, he hugged me and he said, "The reason why I spank you is because I love you, and you need to know that this is not how we behave." And what he was teaching me is that disobedience and pain go together and i didn't I wouldn't have been able to articulate at that time I would have known that hurt okay if when normally it hurt that hurt and that was because I did this I don't want to do that anymore okay and that's enough for a little mind to grasp and as you get older you can break that down and and uh, understand it a little bit more but When you're young, you just need to know this goes with that. And so if God allows difficulty to come into our lives, there may be a purpose for it. It may be sometimes that it's discipline, and sometimes it's not discipline at all. Sometimes it's a necessary evil in a fallen world, and God's going to get glory because of your perseverance through it. You see what I mean? That we shouldn't see everything that happens that we go through that's negative as this is God's punishment. It's not always God's punishment. There's times God punishes in that way, but it's not always that way. So if uh, money in the water is a little bit, I just want to encourage you to ask questions about that if you don't know why and tr- entrust it to the hands of the Lord. That These attacks that may come, that may be at the will of wicked people, and God may not interfere with it, but he still given us hope because what they do to us cannot pluck us out of the hands of God. Right? Listen, no one, Jesus said, no one can pluck you out of my hands. No one. Thank the Lord for that. There's hope in this. And so as bad as these Christians had it and some Christians went so far as to have to give their lives for the gospel. And if we're thinking of our lives like the world does, that this is all there is. That's the ultimate evil, is to have to give our lives for something. And it wouldn't be worth it, except for the, we believe that Jesus has given us another life. That's what this hope is all about. Christ has given us a life beyond this life, and so we're not living just in light of this existence. If we have a hard time grasping that, it may be that we haven't put the resurrection in its proper place yet. Its proper place ought to be the focal point of our existence. Do you know, actually, there's a sense in which we're living the resurrected life now. Now. like It's, it's a realized eschatology. It's a realized, the end of the story is already being written in our lives. Like, we're all, we already have the resurrection life living in us. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Right now, you have resurrection life. And so Jesus can say that if anyone believes in me, though they die, they will live. And they will never, he goes on to say in the negative, they will never die. You know, he's using it in two different ways. The body will die, but your spirit never dies here in Christ. Thank God for that. So we have hope in this life. And that's God's call to us is that hope requires a response, it has a message, and people are going to be asking us about that, and you'll look, if you look at people's faces and look in people's eyes, you'll see a world without hope. And you and I have the answer, even if we haven't realized it yet. The answer is found in Jesus. Hope beyond this life. Remember I said last week, Conrad Adenauer says to Billy Graham, Billy Graham asked, he said to Billy Graham, do you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I think Conrad Adenauer was the um, Chancellor of Germany Right after World War II And so he's rebuilding a nation And I imagine in the middle of that He would have seen hopelessness He said apart from Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ I'd know of no other hope for humanity Because all of this Would go down the drain But Jesus has come along He's redeemed us, he's plucked us out Of a hopeless existence, he's given us hope In our heart now And he's given us a message to others Thanks for your gracious attention today. I'm going to stop there. Let's uh, let's stand together. You have a message, a message of hope. Today, maybe you're in a situation that looks hopeless. God's able to do more than what we can ask or think, and that might sound trite and empty, but I, I dare you to say, Lord, what can you do with this? can you do with this? What can you do with this life, with these fractured pieces, with this existence? Let's bow our heads and take a moment here. If there's anyone that has never met the God of hope in Jesus, today you can do that. and Simply say, Lord, look at God, look at where I've gone with my life. Look at what I've done with it. It's really true that you're a God of hope. Will you take this life and make of it what you will? Will you do that? Say something like this, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, for Jesus' sake. He died for you. He rose again. He lives to make intercession for you. He's on your side. He's asking, are you on his side? Maybe there's others here today. You're finding it hard in um, your situation to stand up and speak for Jesus. The Holy Spirit promises boldness to those who will seek him. Would you say to him today, Lord Jesus? Send your spirit and give me boldness. I want to be able to give an answer and I want to be ready when people ask for the hope that I have. Why why I have hope. Help me to be able able to explain that and to give glory to you and and offer that true hope to others. Take a moment now and just say, Lord, I want that. I want to be able to express hope to other people. Will you say that to the Lord? Would you be daring enough to say, Lord, if you bring me somebody this week that will ask me that question, I'll I'll answer it. God, help us, we pray, as people of hope. And maybe today you'd say, Lord, I've, I've not responded in a very nice way to what you've called me to. When people push, I push back. When people get angry, I get angry and retaliate. Today maybe you need to say, Lord, forgive me of that. and Help me to respond in the sweetness of Jesus. Help me to return good for evil, to overcome evil with good. I want to give that situation to you where a boss has treated me unfairly or a friend, a former friend maybe even, has been hateful. Somebody has persecuted me because of my faith. My family doesn't understand this. Whatever it might be. I want to pray that you would respond with the sweetness of Jesus. And so here's three opportunities to respond today. I want to ask you to do something a little different. Maybe you'll want to, Come and pray at the altar, but if you feel you need specific prayer in one of these areas, I'd just like to invite you to come stand somewhere just a couple feet away where people can get in and pray for you, a couple feet away from the platform. And I want to pray that God would help you in these areas. So if uh, you sense the Lord speaking to you or you feel you need prayer, come. Amen. Father, we just thank you today that we don't have a life of hopelessness but one of hope that's given because of jesus and the death that he died on our behalf that brings us forgiveness we don't have to be buried between beneath the weight of our sin you've given us hope in that regard that we can be forgiven and uh, also the hope of new life that this life is not all that there is and so we can live with a kind of freedom and not a fear of death but a freedom and a love for you and knowing that life can have purpose and meaning even beyond our days. So help us to cling to you and to do what would please you, what the proper response of hope would be, to say what needs to be said that others might be uh, infused with hope and no hope themselves because of Jesus. And help us to do it in a way, Lord, that honors you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.